and this is Conversational Commerce, the podcast where we break down the biggest industry news and trends by talking shop with the Retail Dive team, thought leaders, and executives. Today on the show, I'm going to take you into the world of the fastest growing segment in the apparel industry. That's plus-size clothing. Now, it's not that people are suddenly bigger than they once were. The fashion industry is full of, at times, archaic and arbitrary rules, one of which long ago decided what constituted as beautiful. For centuries, brands and media platforms have reinforced the idea that beautiful means being thin, and that's reflected in the sizes that brands prefer. Generally, most don't carry sizes over 12 or 14. Yet, the average American woman wears a size 16 or 18, according to a 2016 study published in the International Journal of Fashion, Design, Technology, and Education. That means brands are missing out on a huge group of shoppers. In 2016, American shoppers spent over $21 billion on plus-size clothing, according to market research firm the NPD Group. It anticipates the plus-size market will grow by 4% annually to hit $24 billion by 2020. Meanwhile, the total clothing market is only expected to grow at half that pace. The plus-size industry has come a long way since its beginnings, which are rooted in Lane Bryant's maternity section. In the early 1900s, that company began to realize that larger women were buying pregnancy clothing as their everyday wear. And so by the late 1920s, it began selling clothing under the category that it described as for quote, stout women. From there, Lane Bryant went on to become one of the biggest brands catering to larger women. With the rise of e-commerce, digitally native brands in the space have begun to crop up offering more options than ever, and they don't sacrifice style. ModCloth and Eloqui are two of those brands, both of which were acquired by big box giant Walmart, which is making a big push into the space. Slowly but surely, so are other major retailers and brands. At least that's the hope for Universal Standard co-founders Alexander Waldman and Polina Vexler. Over the last year, their three-year-old digitally native brand has collaborated with J.Crew and Nordstrom to help expand their sizing to reach more women. And they've expanded their own sizing in both directions. They now offer apparel in every size between double zero and 40. I recently took a trip up to New York City to sit down with Alex, who is the creative director, and Polina, who is the CEO, to talk about their vision for an industry that isn't divided by regular assortment and the plus-size line. We recorded in the brand's first physical store, which recently opened in Soho, so you may hear employees walking around and working in the background. Before we dive in, here's a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Synchrony. Synchrony provides financial solutions, payment technologies, and data insights to keep businesses thriving. Find out how Synchrony can help your business at synchrony.com. All right, let's dive in. Alex Waldman and Polina Vexler, the co-founders of Universal Standard. I'm very excited to have you on the podcast today. Very happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. We're sitting here right now in the brand's um, first Soho store here in New York City. We're in the showroom actually downstairs. And I'm excited because it's one of many milestones that you've hit over the last three years. And I want to talk a little bit about how you think about brick and mortar going from a very much e-commerce centered model. But before we get to that, I want to start with the origin of the brand. So 
tell us, how did, how did you meet and how did you get the idea for Universal Standard? Uh, Alex and I both spend a lot of years abroad and I was living in Africa for a long time. Alex was living in Moscow. We both found ourselves in New York at the same time and were introduced by mutual colleagues. Both of us did not have a network or much of a network um, in New York. I think I had one other friend in addition to Alex. <laughs> I didn't and, have any. <laughs> <laughs> and we uh, were both invited to go to an event that I was really excited to go. I was also looking at a job, were, uh, looking for a job at the time, and really wanted to go to this event. And um, all of a sudden, Alex told me she wasn't going to go with me. And I said, why not? And she said, I have nothing to wear. And I said, look, you live a couple blocks away from Fifth Avenue. Why don't we just go and buy you something? And she basically looked at me like I had two heads and said, do you know that there's not a single store on Fifth Avenue that I can walk into and buy clothing for myself? And uh, I thought she was lying. There's no way. And this whole world is basically behind a veil unless you are suffering from the lack or um, investing in the space or something like that. You just don't know that uh, this world exists. And so Alex then um, took me into her world and we went on the shopping trip and we went to a department store where we passed all the beautifully merchandised floors and she took me to the furniture floor and next to uh, some throw pillows and nonstick pot and pans was the small section that Alex said, this is where I could shop. At that moment, after doing a little bit of research, uh, we knew that we needed to change this and there's no reason why women should be segregated based on their size where they can and can't shop. We wanted to change the us and them mentality that has existed in the industry for a very long time now. I think it's very important to recognize um, that clothes um, are a lot more than just, you know, things you throw on your back. Um, it's the armor that you wear into the world. It's how you present yourself. And when you are um, not given an opportunity to show yourself in the way you would like, um, it's very limiting. It feels like you're starting, starting off on the back foot. So um, it can be a very emotional thing, not having access to, um, to the things that you really love or um, to a way of expressing yourself uh, in the way that you see yourself. Um, it's, it's, it affects a lot of your life. I wonder at the beginning when you were dreaming up this company, what you thought the, the mission would be beyond for the customer, you know, what, what would the branding be like and what kind of place it would have in the industry? So we had from the very beginning, we had some very lofty goals. Um, we knew that we didn't just want to make a brand, another brand for plus size women. We knew that um, the time had probably come for things to change on a much greater scale. I know it sounds... Um, almost ridiculous um, to say that we thought in that way when it was just the two of us sitting in my one-bedroom apartment trying to figure out whether we wanted to do a startup. But we did from the very beginning kind of say, you know, go big or go home and let's, let's do something that really makes a difference. 
and what, what needs to happen in the apparel space for things to really change. So we created a brand that catered to women size 10 to 28, which was well within the straight size space and slightly outside of the traditional plus size space because we wanted to plant our flags there and indicate that we would be going in both directions. And we set out to create a brand that I felt I didn't have access to as a size 20 woman. Um, so Paulina um, you know, is a size four woman. This is why this whole world was invisible to her. And I wanted to be able to walk into a bar and you know, spend time with my friends and look like my, like my peers and not like one of the outdated tropes that basically I was forced to be as a woman my size. Over the last year, there's been a lot more interest in extended sizes and attention given to the plus market. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest examples of recent is Walmart buying Eloqui, another digitally native um, consumer brand. And they're realizing that they're missing out on a lot of Americans. Most women fall outside of the traditional sizing that's been in the fashion industry for, for ages for an arbitrary reason. Um, and I think what's different about Universal Standard and what I've heard you say before Alex, is that you have a problem even with the word plus size. And I wanted to talk a little bit about size inclusivity and what that means to you and why that's powerful for the brand. I don't have a problem with any words. Um, I think that plus size is a practical phrase because, you know, it's the stuff you're going to put into Google. Uh, it's a shortcut to what has traditionally been this sort of double digit sizing space. Obviously, size inclusive is also descriptive. Um, what I hope for is get beyond those descriptions and to just have brands for women that don't have to explain where the line lies between the haves and the have nots and what you can sort of imagine as a plus size brand versus a non plus size brand. I want to talk a little bit about the size expansion that you've done, you know, just in the short time that you've been a brand, you recently expanded to double zero up to 40, which as far as I know is the largest um, range that any brand offers. And I'm curious, you know, what made you want to do such a large size range and how are you able to do that? How do you gain the expertise to have, um, you know, to be able to make these sizes for all different kinds of women? I think, uh, Paulina, you'd probably agree with me uh, that this is a pretty steep learning curve, uh, but we, we did want to reach um, the broadest audience that was commercially feasible to reach. Um, and to, to say to women, this is for all of us. Um, basically, that was the impetus. Um, but as for the rest of it, I think you're probably better. I mean, what we wanted to do is enable any woman, be it a size 2 or a size 32, to be able to walk up to a rack and say, do I like this? And if I like it, I'm going to buy it. And to be able to use her taste as her only filter and for neither of them to say, does this come in my size? And have that be the first question that um, is a determining factor as if she could have it or she could not have it. And as far as the learning curve and it being a very steep one, I think what enabled us to go that broad so quickly 
is because we started with probably the harder part of the puzzle to begin with, to really figure out manufacturing for the double digit size range, to really figure out fit, to not use uh, a formula for grading, to figure out how clothing drapes on different body types, to figure out what different fabrics need to be used so that they're more pilling resistant, to figure out what learnings in terms of uh, ways to optimize yields or get machinery with large enough looms. So because we were able to do that um, originally enabled us to then scale quickly in both directions. Do you feel like it was easier to, to learn the expertise of smaller sizes once you had already had the, the experience of working in double digits? There's a lot more precedent. There's a lot <laughs> more knowledge. Um, so we started from, um, you know, the bits that nobody really knew, and we set out to make ourselves experts uh, as much as possible um, in, you know, a, a somewhat difficult arena because there is a lot of body diversity once you get past a certain size. Uh, there are a lot of, um, as Paulina mentioned, a lot of costs associated with creating much bigger uh, fashions because there is not just the amount of fabric you use, but it's the fabric you also don't use, you lose, um, which is the wastage part. Um, so we had to learn a lot from um, not basically zero, but absolutely zero. So how are your customers responding so far to this? I mean, it seems like you've resonated clearly with women who were craving a place where they could get stylish clothing in their size, in double-digit sizes. How are your customers reacting now that you're this enormous range? For the most part, it's um, especially now it's becoming much more positive. I think uh, originally um, the women who wore double digit sizes kind of balked at the idea of us going down the scale. Um, there was a lot of like, why, you know, they have everything. Um, this is finally, I find a brand I love and now you're gonna give it to them. And again, that sort of points to that us and them mentality that we set out to, to erase because, you know, we should all have access to great clothes. Um, I think now people are starting to see the reason behind it a little bit more and to understand that um, it benefits everyone. Uh, I mean, not just the consumer um, from size double zero to 40, but also the apparel industry to think in a much more inclusive and diverse way. I wonder how that plays into cu customer acquisition. I think for a, a lot of women, if you don't have a lot of options, they might come running to a company like Universal Standard. But how do you think about you know, getting people within all of these different ranges and different markets too, different metro areas? Well, I think there's a lot of people like Alex and myself who want to be able to shop together and haven't been able to for such a long time. And it doesn't matter if I'm sitting at that on the outside of the dressing room because we are on a certain floor or if Alex is sitting on the outside of the dressing room if we are on a different floor. Now, no one has to sit outside of the dressing room and be the one bringing clothes to the other. Um, and women can shop together. And right now, that has been the main driver of acquisition because we're still at this stage 
where um, we're not spending a lot of money on acquisition and it's uh, for the most part organic and word of mouth and friends and also uh, where we have spent the money is we just did our first campaign actually with um, foundation and our size extension. Yeah, absolutely. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Um, I think the idea behind it was basically look at women across a much broader range of sizes. Uh, we're more than our size. We wanted to make sure that um, we showed that diversity and that, that beauty was a much uh, bigger word than just, you know, double zeros and twos and fours that we're used to seeing in advertising. Um, we wanted to, you know, the slogan behind the campaign is all of us as we are. So they're very, I mean, they're not retouched. They are really what you see um, is that moment that that person connected with, with the lens and their representations of people uh, in the world, uh, this is what we wanted to show because this is who we're making our clothes for. Yeah, and I wonder, I mean, you tapped into these women that you've been working with for a while, and in, in some way they're, they're brand ambassadors for the campaign. How important is having ambassadors and how important is it on social media platforms or you know, direct through your own advertising? As I mentioned, um, since we haven't really done much I mean, we obviously do a bit of digital marketing, but for the most part, our customers have come uh, organically, and social media, I mean, plays a huge, huge for role. For an e-commerce brand, for it's e everything. Brand. It's the lifeblood, obviously, yeah. So it is very important to answer your question. Yeah, and a little bit earlier, Alex was telling me about you know, the experimentation with brick and mortar stores, which is very new, but we're seeing a lot of digital first brands start to look at showrooms or pop-ups or physical stores in big markets. And I know that you took a big tour and you went, you worked with Nordstrom on this. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about what you learned going from, I believe you said it was 12 different cities and you know, popping up for um, a little bit of time and then moving on. The main takeaway is that connection with the customer. Uh, nothing else compares to that. So to be able to listen to the customer, to be able to understand what are the things that we're doing right, what are the things that need a little bit of adjustment. Uh, as you mentioned, it was um, 30, 12 different cities, but 35 different pop-ups. So, and we did it for two and a half months. So we literally were um, in a van, driving <laughs> cross-country, popping up. That's its own experience, yeah. too. <laughs> popping up in various Nordstroms across the country, but also doing our own pop-ups as well uh, to connect with the customer and also use this experience to figure out what are those next locations that we're going to do something more permanent. I also want to talk a little bit about the idea of a showroom and how that's different from a store. Um, and I think what you mentioned was that the relationship with a stylist is different from a store associate. And so how does that play into what you get from the Universal Standard experience? For one thing, it's a private experience. So you're one-on-one -on -one with your stylist. And your stylist is exactly that. They're on your side. They're there to 
help you feel comfortable and find a style that you're, um, you know, that suits you best. Um, they are the ones who are going to be brutally honest. They'll tell you if something doesn't suit you or they'll suggest a smaller or bigger size. Um, so the experience is completely different. And, you know, there's a reason why plus size women have always led um, this whole sort of conversion to e-commerce because they felt very unwelcome in, in bricks and mortar stores. Now, I think there's room for that to change, but I also think it sort of bred a certain need for uh, privacy and that idea of being um, in a place where it's you, the mirror, and somebody you trust um, sort of giving you advice. So it's a very, very comfortable um, and enjoyable situation. So what, what have you learned so far? It sounds like that's very important. Your customers want to be able to touch and feel the clothing. Um, do you envision more of these showrooms or brick and mortar stores in other cities? Absolutely. I mean, our goal are, is to do a lot more IRL experiences in the coming years. Um, there is nothing that compares to that. So that is definitely an area where we're investing. And I know you've also collaborated with some major brands at this point. You worked with J. Crew and actually helped herald the moment that they expanded their sizing up um, and have also worked with Nordstrom. Why is it important to work with these kinds of companies? I wonder in some aspect that you have a very disruptive mindset and I wonder if you are trying to you know, help have a ripple effect within the, the greater industry. That's spot on. That's exactly why. Um, so. When J. Crew approached us um, and said, you know, we really want to, we see the writing on the wall, we want to, to go into extended sizing and we want to do it permanently and we'd really like to do it well and we'd like to learn from your learnings. Um, we saw that as a vehicle of, of change. It's an amazing American brand. Everyone knows this brand. And we thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to open those doors to everyone? When it came to Nordstrom, um, they also sort of are very progressive thinkers in the retail space. Yeah, I mean, they worked with us to also um, do the same thing that is part of our mission and to allow women to shop together. So uh, in our collaboration with them, um, we have a small collection with them now um, that is universal standard product, but it's being displayed uh, on the same floor as the rest of it's their- It's not tucked away with the furniture. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's not, yeah. It's not, it's not so. in their plus size department. It is part of their contemporary uh, women's clothing department. And I, I talk to a lot of startups, and it's interesting when they work with traditional retailers because you just come up with a completely different mindset, and there's a lot of learnings on both sides. But I wonder what you learned about working with companies like Nordstrom and J. Crew, and if it made you realize why haven't more companies expanded their sizes? Like, what is holding them back? That's the multi-billion-dollar question. The thing is, it can be answered in a million different ways, and all of them will be true and correct. Um, there is a steep learning curve. It is more expensive. Uh, there is a lack of infrastructure and a lack of experience. Um, you know, there are concerns that, uh, you know, this customer, you know, has a different um, way of looking at clothing, uh, all of which is absolutely untrue. We're influenced by the same things. 
there's a lot of that, but I think underneath it all, there is a need for us to broaden our, our understanding of what is beautiful and what is attractive. And as soon as we embrace a broader spectrum of beauty, you will have a much more natural transition to inclusivity. You can't really do that if you were brought up to believe that it's attractive, but only to this point and beyond this point, it just isn't. And in working with you know bigger companies too, what did you learn about what challenges you still had and what you still needed to learn? I mean, definitely um, there is, I mean, one of the big challenges is sizing. There is no universal um, sizing. Ironically. And so, uh, <laughs> and so what is a 1X? What's a 4X? What's a size medium? And everyone approaches that differently. And it can get very confusing to the consumer. And how do you bridge between different brands and how do you communicate it so that um, you minimize returns? So I think as an industry as a whole, there's a lot of work for us to do to get to um, a place where when someone says medium or 1x, we all know what we're talking about. That sounds like quite a mission because I think I've been to a million stores with a million different types of sizing. It's also important to realize that the medium in the United States isn't 1820. You know, it's not an 810 or whatever it is that a lot of stores purport it to be. It actually is an 1820. So in our brand, um, you know, as small as a 1416, a medium is an 1820. Um, And these aren't vanity sizes. We're not trying to sort of flatter somebody. Um, This is actually a reflection of reality in the United States. There are 100 million women out there over size 14. Strictly from a financial perspective, I mean, businesses are losing out on $21 billion market. Um, And we're seeing more companies start to play in that space. Um, I wonder if you're encouraged by that or if you think we've hit some kind of a turning point where uh, more people are talking about sizing and expanding their offerings. Well, I hope that offerings are being expanded and there are more brands considering uh, broadening uh, what what they offer consumers. I think that would be an incredibly positive thing, and there is plenty of room for all of us. And um, you know, as much as I love Universal Standard, I'd like to be able to walk into any store in Soho and pick something out for myself without thinking, oh, "No, I'll just wait on the sidewalk because there's absolutely no no reason for me to enter that place." So what's ahead for Universal Standard? There's a lot of experimentation. This store is incredibly new. I imagine you're learning a lot from that. What, what do you have your eyes on in the next year? Everything. <laughs> um, you know, we, uh, the next year, um, there are a lot of things that are, are going to happen. But I think um, the medium to longer term for the brand is really boundless. Uh, You know, it would be wonderful to create a lifestyle brand that includes um, men's clothing, home, and, uh, you know, everything from from bathing suits to footwear. Uh, There's absolutely no reason why um, we cannot start applying what we've learned uh, this far into other categories. And you've worked with other companies. You also 
you have your own standalone e-commerce site. Are you looking to build that out into a, a whole lifestyle um, brand, or is one option to um, look for an out with a with a company and look for an acquisition? Well, I don't know. That's a better question. <laughs> I think it's too early for us. Um, look, we're only three years old. I think um, our bread and butter hopefully will continue to be direct to consumer. We have started experimenting with wholesale. We have started experimenting with uh, IRL, but still the majority of our revenue comes from us connecting directly to our customer. And that is always going to be a focus but we do want to also build out uh, some of these other distribution channels as well. So is there anything that you think customers or other companies don't understand about Universal Standard? I think it takes a while to flip that switch and to really start looking at apparel as an inclusive category. Um, I think that there is a tendency to default back to the old ways, the ways things, the way things have always been done. Um, and I think that the more progressive brands um, are already seeing the writing on the wall and already making plans. Um, you know, the less progressive ones are going to have to catch up. But I think it would be, it just doesn't make any sense to miss out on 70% uh, of female consumers in the United States alone. Um, so most brands will have to, to readjust. And we would like to set an example. We would like to show how it can be done um, beautifully and to the benefit of everyone concerned from the consumer to the manufacturer. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was a pleasure. Thank, thank you. you for having us. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Conversational Commerce. For all the latest news and trends, subscribe to our free daily newsletter at retaildive.com. And stay tuned for more episodes. Next up, I'm circling back to a conversation I had with retail profit founder Doug Stevens. About a year ago, I called him up to pick his brain for predictions for 2018. Now, we'll revisit those thoughts and see how he did. Until next time, I'm Corinne Ruff. And this was Conversational Commerce.